Thank you for waiting. We're now boarding all passengers on No Blackout Dates Airlines. All aboard No Blackout Dates to... Wait. Where the hell are we going? No Blackout Dates. We are Blackout Dates. Good to see you. Good to see you. How you doing? Not for nothing really and truly all day long like 7-Eleven. have to go with Bilbo Baggins. He's he's literally like the Middle Earth version of a travel blogger. You know, all I wanted to do was play baseball and eat chicken nuggets. You're really getting thrown through a pane of glass. You're really getting dropped onto a table that breaks. What's up and welcome to another episode of No Blackout Dates. I'm Tim. I'm Evan. We've got a great one for you today with our new friend Alice Ford. Alice is a stunt woman. She's been on a number of well-known Hollywood flicks, including Transformers 4 and Transformers 5. She is going to talk to us about the world of stunt doubling, which is something that I have to admit I knew absolutely nothing about before this one. And after talking to her, have realized that Evan and I are both completely incapable of doing this. But uh, she's going to shed a lot of light on it, and we're also going to talk about all the cool travel she gets to do as a result. Yeah, we're continuing our trend of having uh female guests that are way cooler and way tougher than uh, me and tim are but it's it's been really fascinating to learn uh, about what actually it entails to work in the stunts person industry um and we try to shine a light on all the incredible contributions and hard work that stunt people do because they don't get academy awards which is just an absolute travesty and i just learned that today yeah and and the, the mo- vast majority of them aren't getting many awards at all even though these movies could not be made without them and i think we're, we're shining light on that but one of the other things that we're doing here that's really cool that i i think is exciting is that we're shining a light on a bunch of professions that are travel centric and 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 kind of uh media centric professions that you don't always think of as being like, oh, this is somebody that travels for a living. You, you don't necessarily think that when you're thinking of a stunt double. From doing this podcast, the time we started it to now, I think I've become aware of like 16 different professions that I didn't know existed. So I thought I had a nice job before I started the podcast. And now I'm like, damn, like I got to get I got to get myself a more exciting job. But speaking of exciting things. A lot of exciting things going on in the world today. The NASA just landed that rover on the, the Mars the other day, right? That's exciting. Yeah, so it's actually out of the world where the exciting things are happening. There's a traffic jam in the Mars orbit. There are now three countries, the UAE, China, and the US, that are currently studying Mars as we speak. And that's really cool. Uh, I, in maybe my nerdiest moment of the last month, watched there was a two-hour video of the landing that NASA released mostly of their engineers sitting in the control room doing, you know, working to make sure this thing didn't turn into a disaster. And I watched most of that video the other day. And I have to admit, I was crying when it, when, when they landed and everybody was clapping, I lost it a little bit. Dude, nothing gets me going like watching NASA control room videos, like, like the moment of landing. Right. It's like some people watch like Super Bowl hype videos to get them like pumped up for, for a game or uh, like motivational speeches. I, I if I want to get like real riled up and real fired up, I just sit there and I watch moon landing videos from NASA control room or Mars rover landings. It's like the moment that that, that you know, that r- woman's voice says successful touchdown and everyone just goes nuts. I, it's like I find myself just standing 
by myself in the living room, just slow clapping. Yeah, it's exciting. And it's, you know, it's really pushing things forward. And I, I really like that. And we're going to get into some other exciting stuff now with Alice that's a little back in this world, but also up in the air just as well. Okay, Alice Ford, welcome to No Blackout Dates. How are you today? Hey, guys, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Totally. Uh, first off, we'll we'll get into some fun stuff in a bit, but I want to know, first of all, how you got into travel and blogging and, and uh, uh, just the whole travel sphere in general. Sure, absolutely. I, I think I... <laughs> I had really adventurous, adventurous parents. My dad was like a mountain man and was, you know, spent his 20s and his early 30s, like just traveling, hiking, rappelling and climbing and river guiding in the Grand Canyon. And when I was a teenager, I also got to go to like seven European countries um, for track and field um, one summer which like was my first trip. What to was your activity? I was, well, in high school, I was a long jumper, a hurdler and a sprinter. But then my senior year of high school. And then when I got into college, I actually took up pole vaulting. Um, but I wasn't doing that on that uh, trip that I went to Europe for. The physics of pole vaulting is something I don't think I'll ever understand. I wa I can watch that all day in the Olympics and just, I, I just don't get it. I don't know how people do that, like hoist themselves up that high and like, <laughs> don't just fall on their face every single time. It's very impressive to me. Well, I'll tell you what, I fell on my face a lot when I was learning. <laughs> Imagine practicing that, like not before you get good, just like, how do you practice? Like, I don't, you must get so bruised up. It probably prepares you well for being a stunt woman, I guess. Yeah. Well, I did gymnastics growing up too. And I had my best friend in junior high and high school pole vaulted and she had like the high school record at like a very low height. Like it wasn't anything impressive. Um, and I was like, oh, I could do a better job than her. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I should try this. And then, I mean, we were terrible together. And then because I didn't understand really the physics of it, because uh, it is kind of complicated. So you're better than your friend now. That's the important thing. Yeah, I ended up having the high school record and I still have it today. I think my name is still on the high school like bulletin board. <laughs> That's all that matters. That's all that matters that you be out your friend. <laughs> I, I have nothing on my high school bulletin board. So that's that's an accomplishment right there. And I I want to get into the stunt thing because I don't think I've ever in my life talked to a real live stunt person before. And I think everybody ever wants to do that. So how did that happen? I actually ended up on a trip for USA track and field in Italy where I met a guy that was on like this, we were in a performance art show. It wasn't even for track and field, but um, he ended up being on a TV show in Los Angeles. That was a, a gymnastic show called make it or break it. And I was telling him, Oh my gosh, I was a gymnast. I can still flip and do all this stuff. And I'm trying to get into stunts. You know, if you happen to, have any connections that would be great and he was like yeah the season's over but if they shoot another season I'd be happy to like connect you with the woman that casts it and I was like great didn't think anything would happen a couple months later I get an email from him hey they're casting make it or break it if you have a gymnastics tape why don't you send it in and I was like okay great so I did and I ended up getting on that show uh moved out to Los Angeles and that was my first TV show as a stunt woman. And um, and then after that, I like went on Ender's Game and then Transformers 
And then, you know, a lot of stuff since then. So what do you have to do to get ready for your day to day? I guess it depends on what you're doing and what your what the movie is. But like, do you need special fight training? Do you need to go through this like intense training process for every movie, depending on what it is? Like, how is that? How does that work? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it definitely depends on the movie. Um, you know, I've been hired in the past for like, some specialty things like high diving or like I've gone on a movie for pole vaulting and those like you have to obviously brush up on your skills and keep, keep well-trained in those things. I have done a lot of fight scenes in a lot of movies, which requires you to always keep up on your training of martial arts and things like that. So most stunt people when they're not working train pretty much every day in like whatever their specialties are, which for a lot of people is gymnastics or some sort of martial arts. And then everyone that's a stunt person has like what they call like all around stunt person abilities, which is basically like taking, you know, knowing how to get like punched in the face or, um, (laughs) (laughs) um, (laughs) or like jumping off a building, stuff like that. So all that stuff you practice, you don't obviously just like, yeah, sure. That sounds easy. I'll try it. Well, that was my next question. Actually, do you have to fit a certain physical description to be a stunt person or, uh, is it more of like a mental toughness thing? Cause like, basically I'm asking, could a couple of idiots like me and Tim just sign up to be stunt people? You should at least have some sort of athletic ability <laughs> to get into stunts. Yeah. Everyone sure could probably learn how to fall down and stuff like that. But I think there is like a mental toughness that also goes along with it that you need. And, um, so me and Tim are out. <laughs> that dream is gone. When you said the thing about getting punched in the face, I had my hopes up, but no, I don't think I can do the rest of it. What are what are your thoughts on this statement? Stunt doubles are the most underappreciated people on the set. I mean, we still don't get Academy Awards or any of that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, I think I think there's definitely a lot of crew members that appreciate the stunt doubles for sure. Um, like I'm working on a movie right now and our main stunt doubles get the crap kicked out of them on a like almost daily basis because there's a lot of like really physical demanding aspects, fight scenes and like hard hits. There's still not a lot of CG in a lot of movies. So a lot of stuff like you're really getting thrown through a pane of glass. You're really getting dropped onto a table that breaks and you hit the ground and you have to do a, like completely flat back on concrete or, you know, I mean, people get concussions, they get lacerations, they get scraped up and cut up. All right. We're officially making this, the the call to action for this podcast to be raise awareness for stunt people and get them the Academy Awards and the Emmys that they deserve because (laughs) the amount of random awards they give to these people, like the amount of random Oscar categories, I feel like there's an award for best, best latte delivered by an intern on, on set, you know? And the fact that they don't give you anything that's wild. Yeah. I mean, there is a category for like best stunt ensemble, which is like the whole stunt team, you know, for, you know, um, that's like the only award that there is, but there's not like best stunt or best stunt coordinator or, or anything like that. So there should be at least some category. It's always fascinating to me watching these movies and shows where, you know, it's like an action movie and you know that there are stunt people, um, that they're subbing in stunt people for the main actors. And I always try and watch to see if I can tell that it's a different person or like when, 
it ceases to be like the star and becomes the stunt person. And it's always so impossible to tell. And they do such a good job of disguising like the person's features. And what goes into that? Like, how do you, and do you ever try to sneak in your own like cameo (laughs) so that people (laughs) secretly kind of know it's you and not the actor? Totally. Well, it's funny because like I did Transformers 4 and I did Transformers 4 and 5, but on 4, I was like the Leeds stunt double. And my friends that like know me personally were like, I could pick you out of this, that, and that spot. But, but yeah, I mean, you are made to try and look like they're twins. So like, even when you're hired, if you are an actual stunt double and not just like a, they also have like nondescript stunt people, which are like, could be like pedestrians that like fall down in the road or like, they're not like main characters or just like random people. But like, yeah, as a stunt double, they really try to match you like a hundred percent to the other person, like with a wig or like your natural hair, they do it exactly the same way. They make sure the color is the same. Uh, They do your makeup the same. And then when you're hired, they want to make sure you have like the same size body and all that, which is difficult for athletes, I think, because actresses are very thin most of the time. And then like women that are athletes are not necessarily able to have that like same skinniness as an actress. Um, But they do try to make sure that you're like the same size as your actress to make it harder for people to tell, you know, if it's an actress or a stunt double. Yeah. Is that tough? Cause that could prevent you from getting certain jobs or help you from getting other or help you get other jobs because it's like, you couldn't be a stunt woman for like Queen Latifah. But no offense, but you could be for uh, Jennifer Lawrence. So it, it depends, I guess, on what you look like. Does that affect what roles you can and can't get based on just your natural physical appearance? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, and it's also your height. So like I'm five five. I will never double. I mean, not saying never because I have doubled women that were like five ten. But you will almost never double people that are significantly shorter or taller than you. So like, um, I'm trying to think of her name. Like the the Black Widow um, actress Scarlett Johansson. She's like five two. So like, while I might have the skills and maybe like somewhat like maybe like a little bit look like her, I could never double her because she's short. So or shorter than me. Um, and same goes for like men and, you know, that kind of thing. They try to make you match not just in height, but in weight and in look. So the only thing that really changes a lot is hair color. Cause sometimes they'll just be like, okay, well, we'll put a wig on you. Cause it's easier. What's the one stunt role you really, really want? Like what's your ideal stunt role, whether it's a movie or uh, a specific kind of stunt? Like I really wanted to get Tomb Raider. Um, but they filmed it in South Africa um, and they typically don't hire Americans for um, European or like African based um, films. But like any, if there was like a remake or like some sort of movie that was like a female version of Indiana Jones, that would be like my, Hell yeah, absolutely like would want to do that hundred percent. Has this job ever taken you to any crazy places outside the U S or around the U S and, and, and a second part to this question is, Is this kind of how you got into the travel media sphere? Yeah. So um, yes to both those questions. Um, I, so before I got into stunts, I had actually written a TV pilot um, that was with my like best friend at the time. Her name's Jeannie, but we wanted to go and go to all these world heritage sites and like 
to like kind of like travel guides and explore them and make that into a TV show. But at the time I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, I didn't know anything about entertainment. Um, and so it was basically just like a document on my computer with like, you know, like maybe one day, like a pipe dream. Um, so then when I got into stunts and I got on Transformers 4, we went to, um, well, we went all over the US. We worked in like Texas and Detroit and Chicago in Northern Washington. And then we went to China. We went, worked in Hong Kong, in Beijing, and in this place of, in China called Wulong. We shot at like the Great Wall of China. Um, and then after that, I actually went to Cambodia, Bali, Borneo, Australia, and shot like my first ever travel pilot. Um, which looking back, it's like I've come so far from that video, but that was like my first real like travel pilot slash travel, you know, video for YouTube. Um, and that's kind of like what got the whole momentum starting of like, okay, I'm going to like take this seriously. I'm going to make videos. I want to like try and actually take my piece of paper and like make it into something other than just you know, a piece of scrap paper on my computer. We might need a stunt person for this podcast. We're getting, we're going to, we're going <laughs> to try and kick it up a notch and uh, it, it's only audio, but we're trying to get creative and hire some stunt people. So we might uh, <laughs> enlist your services. Fabulous. Some say we are the Tomb Raider of travel podcasts. <laughs> Excellent. What are, what are some of your favorite spots to shoot uh, when you're on camera and when you're hosting uh, and, and what to you makes an engaging segment. I really love like off the beaten path places that people haven't either heard about or necessarily like explored. In 2019, I went to Norway twice to the Arctic Circle, um, went to Sweden, and the year before that, Tanzania. And then as far as the US goes, I try to just do more remote places out in the wilderness. I do a lot of hiking videos now just because I've been unable to really get out internationally. And uh, how about somewhere where you don't really enjoy filming? Is there a certain setting that you're not stoked on? I would say really busy places. And I don't really like shooting in cities. I have shot in a lot of like European cities. Um, but yeah, I, I prefer like the more remote, like out in the back country. Do you travel alone mostly? Yeah, mostly alone. Yeah. Tim and I have this conversation all the time. Dining alone. Thoughts. Is it weird? Is it do you feel judged? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you definitely feel judged sometimes. I honestly, I guess my like, my plan with solo dining is like, I usually go to like, nice restaurants and then get a table. Ooh, that's the opposite of what we were saying. Interesting. <laughs> okay, go on. Cause, cause then it, it almost looks like you're getting stood up though when you do that. I, cause, I, cause that's sometimes how I feel when I'm at a restaurant. I, not that I don't do it, and I still do, but there's always that thing. Like, I wonder if everybody thinks that like my date just didn't come. Like sometimes I'll sit at the bar, but like I usually don't. Well, I like you guys are men, so it's easy. I feel like it's different, but like as a woman, it's like you sit at the bar and you're just gonna get like hit on by people and like chat it up, and so. I like to just like get my own table. I get some wine. I like, you know, I'll chat with the waiters or whoever, but like, I like to go to <clears throat> nicer restaurants um, and then just like enjoy the experience, I guess. That's interesting. Cause I feel like the conclusion we usually arrive at is that dining alone is easier when you go to like a not so upscale place and sit at the bar because it's just like, you're casual, you're there 
by yourself, just chilling, whatever. But if you're at like a nice restaurant and you're alone, it's like so conspicuous. The odds of somebody coming up and buying me or Evan a drink randomly are very sl- very slim. <laughs> so it's a t- it's a totally different experience. I don't know. People people see me, they're like, hey, that, that's the guy that got punched in the face in that vi- in that uh, movie that I just saw. <laughs> like, can I buy you a drink? So. I'm like a total foodie too. So like, I just love like experiencing really good food and wine at places or like in any destination. So that's like my little treat to myself, I think. And I, I'll get like takeout a lot. Well, especially now with COVID, but. Um. So you know that you've been doing a lot of hiking during the pandemic. Uh, are you an Alpine hiker or a coastal hiker? What's your preference? Alpine. Yeah. I would love like a little cabin in the mountains with solar panels and <laughs> the whole nine yards the little, little house in the mountains with the solar panels is basically tim's house so. <laughs> basically i'm Perfect. not not remote i'm in the middle of palisade but you've got a little house with solar panels on it so that's nice i guess so those videos the youtube videos about where you it's you hiking mountains and things what do you think is i mean that those are all over the internet now um and you pick a mountain and you can find someone hiking it online what do you think is the allure of watching someone else hike a mountain? Well, I mean, I, I would say that like a lot of the people that watch my YouTube videos don't hike or, you know, maybe they can't hike. They've maybe never hiked in these places. So it's like a be- it's beautiful scenery. It's I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's just like an escape from where you are. And it's always nice to like have some sort of aspiration of, oh, that's a beautiful place. That's a beautiful mountain. I'd like to hike there. I mean, I guess it's the same for travel videos. You know, it's like, why do we watch, you know, places in Indonesia or Thailand or anywhere in the world? It's just to see something beautiful that you didn't know existed. It's funny because it's contradictory kind of being in the travel industry, but I've always had trouble watching travel videos or travel shows. I don't know. I get too restless watching other people do things. I like don't watch any travel shows. Like I just can't watch travel shows. Well, he's he's never you've never even watched any Anthony Bourdain. I've never watched Anthony Bourdain. It doesn't interest me. It's like so I just I don't know. I don't like watching other people eat. It's like food shows too. I don't want to watch people eat. I want to eat. I don't want to watch this guy in Thailand. I want to be in Thailand. Like I don't know. It doesn't mean I always can be in these places or eat these things. And it doesn't take away from the, you know, it being an interesting thing to watch, but I just, something about it, it's just like, I can't get into like watching someone else do something that I want to do. It just makes me pissed that I'm not doing it instead. <laughs> Your wanderlust is just too hard. And his FOMO, he's a, he's a FOMO guy. It's, it's, it's not even wanderlust, it's FOMO. That's what it is. It's FOMO. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. anyway, enough about me. Let's go on. <laughs> if, if I read your... Uh, website correctly and correct me if I'm wrong but it says something about group trips that you lead uh, and I'm, I've always been curious because I've been on group trips never organized group trips but what goes on behind the scenes that makes those things work and are they a pain in the ass to run <laughs> yes um, um, yeah I mean they're definitely difficult to run it's a lot of logistics do you have to like carefully decide who's coming and who isn't based on group dynamics like do you like what if people like don't get along or just like hate each other or it's like that you you can't plan for that really right and that could ruin the whole thing you definitely can't plan for that um so far i've only done women's only groups i guess my only dramatic story would be um in the arctic circle on uh while reindeer herding i was with a bunch of other women from america and we were staying at this remote arctic cabin in the middle of 
the like Norwegian Lapland and um, it was a two hour snowmobile ride in the dark to get there. There's no running water, no electricity. And then the outhouses were like outside, like maybe 200 feet or 200 yards from the cabin. And it was negative 10. So, um, and most of these women just like had never dealt with that kind of scenario. Um, so getting them to like go to a outhouse in the pitch dark in negative, you know, 10 degrees was interesting. And then in the morning, the next day, um, I had to like, they didn't know how to use a generator. So like the guy that ran the cabin was out herding the reindeer and he was like, yeah, when you guys just get up, I mean, just, you know, good luck. <laughs> and, uh, so then I was out there and like negative, you know, way below zero trying to get this generator fired up so that all these girls could have electricity for like, you know, an hour. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you're just too busy herding your reindeer to deal with the generator in the morning. That's classic dilemma totally <laughs> classic arctic dilemma for sure well we have a segment that we do on the show which is the listener question and so this one i think you might get a kick of i actually uh i picked it because i think it's appropriate i watched a video on your channel the other day about electric vehicles uh and this one is about that topic exactly actually what do you think of rivian and when do you think there will be used rivians available for people who cannot afford a new one First, first of all, what is a Rivian? Okay, so the Rivian is like the coolest electric truck coming to the market. It comes to market in June. Um, there's a show called A Long Way Up, which is on Apple TV right now. It's with Ewan McGregor, but he basically drove from Patagonia with his friend all the way to Los Angeles on electric motorcycles. But their pace cars, the, the trucks that went with them were the Rivians. So they are pretty badass like electric trucks they're four-wheel drive they can tow like 11,000 pounds um they're super outfitted with like everything you would need for like going out in the desert or off-roading or anything like that go to uh go to rivian.com and enter a discount code no blackout dates for absolutely zero percent off anything but <laughs> you can try it who knows yeah if you can find the the if you can find the discount code box on their website enter no blackout dates and they'll have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Just everyone spam them with an email and tell them we all need a discount. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on, Alice. Where can people find you? Yeah, well, you guys can um, find me on Alice's Adventures on Earth.com. Um, my YouTube channel is Alice Ford Adventures, and it's Alice's Adventures on Earth on Instagram too. So, and all my social and all my other stuffs on all those things as well. And make sure to donate to our crowdfunding campaign to get stunt people the recognition they deserve at the Emmys, Oscars, all of it. Fabulous. We'll get that going too. The funding that you donate is going to create gold medals for all of these people. Okay, Tim, it's time for yet another version of our patented hot takes. Are you ready? I'm ready. Patented now. It's officially patented. The question is, am I ready? And I honestly can't tell you, but we'll see. First question. We've talked about this a few times, and but I kind of want to really delve into it a little more, uh, especially when talking about Canada recently. Uh, we've discussed the U.S.'s lack of kind of a global awareness and not paying as much attention to global news or being quite as informed. And I want to get your thoughts on why specifically do you think this is not in relation we've talked about it in relation to canada but just why forget forget that 
why do you think that the U.S. is so much more inward looking? I think it's because largely because of our media. Uh, well, I, there's a couple of factors. First of all, I think it's because of our media coverage is 90 plus percent about the U.S., whereas if you're reading a paper or watching the news in another country, you're going to hear more globalized approach. Uh, it, it, because other countries, I think, have, we have these channels, we have Al Jazeera, we have other outlets. They're just not readily available. And when they are readily available, I think the vast majority of people either don't know they're readily available or don't care. Yeah, that was kind of exactly the answer that I was had to come up with. Because I, I was thinking about this since the last time we talked about it. And uh, I, I was watching the news and that made me realize how extensive our domestic coverage is and how non-existent our international coverage is. And that's why. So how can you expect people to have a global awareness when your entire 99% of your news coverage is about the most mundane, th they will cover the most mundane things that are happening in the US before they cover an international incident. When the, Okay, so when the, tex the, when the Texas stuff was happening, which is awful, they talked about that for four days straight. It's really cold in Texas. Everything's freezing. Obviously, there's a lot of people that are should be held responsible for that, and it's it's an awful thing. But there is a hostage crisis in Nigeria. There's a coup in Myanmar. These are like dramatic TV-worthy issues that we, I think do really well ratings-wise too. If if CNN decided to really discuss it, what what do you think is going to do better? It's cold in the United States, or there's a dramatic hostage crisis in Nigeria. I'm going to tune into the hostage crisis. So for, from a ratings perspective, which is you know what drives this stuff anyway, Yeah, I think yeah. that they're missing out by not covering this stuff. And I will say that I think written news coverage does a much better job at covering a global perspective uh, than, than television coverage. To be honest, I can't stand TV news. doesn't matter if it's liberal, conservative, whatever. Right, because written news has to it's, – it's once they, – they put it out, whether it's a, a paper, which comes out once a day or once a week – or like a, an online news source, they have to deliberately focus on an issue and analyze it and distill it. Yeah. I don't know. Something's wrong. Maybe we should start something, Tim. Should we start an international news network, the No Blackout Dates World News? Yeah. And the, even with written news, though, like I often find that I have to try on the New York Times app to find the international news, you know, because the, the top page will be, now that Trump's gone, it's gotten a little bit better. But before it was Trump, 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 COVID, 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 COVID. But it was like literally those two things was all you could find unless you scrolled way down or went to the international section. My biggest gripe, I think, with news is not that it's there's there's this fake news media. I don't think news is fake. I don't think CNN is fake. I don't think MSNBC is fake. I think that the worst thing you can say about mainstream media is that it's sensationalist and that they play to our instincts that are driven by fear and by dramatic, what makes dramatic television. Not to say that any of that stuff is incorrect, but I think that their instinct is to get you as afraid and as riled up and as incensed and outraged as possible. In the time they spend doing that, we could be learning about way more important things that are happening in the rest of the world. That's my little rant on the news. No blackout dates, global news. You heard it here first. We're launching in, uh, what's what's the lead time on this? Like a week or two? Get a full, a full global news network up and running? Yeah, a few weeks. We got to lure away some top, you know, foreign correspondents. Uh, next question. 
Is music better at a live concert or while dancing at a nightclub? I know which one you're going to say, yeah. I mean, I'd go with live concert all the way, but... It's a whole different experience. I mean, it's it's not... I mean, the, the people you're going to find at both, I think, are very different. The, the vibe is very different. The kind of music is incredibly different, so it depends what kind of music you're into, but... I think a live, I think live music is much more of a experience, almost like a festival or going to like a going to a real concert. Uh, live uh, DJ music is more of a a quick in and out. You can you can go to four clubs in one night and do that. But if you're going to see a band, you're you're there for the night or the entire weekend to see that band. I mean, I think DJs like people go to clubs. They're not going there to hear a song or a band. They're going there for the club experience. They're going there to party. You know, when you go to a concert, you're going there because you like that band. You know, like it's a, it's an entirely different motivation for going out. Though a lot of people do go to specific DJs because they like that DJ. Yeah, but those are DJs that actually, that are like creating original music or whatever, not like a club where it's just a DJ mixing other songs together. Describe how uncomfortable you were at that club we went to in san diego i was incredibly uncomfortable and it's just not my thing i don't know what to do when i'm in clubs i don't know what to dance like i i just kind of move around like an idiot and like i was just by myself and we were with like a group of people and at one point you left and like wandered off and like somebody else wandered off so it was like (laughs) me with like two people that i had just met and i'm just like i don't know what to do right now this is awful it's funny because you kill it with with, the, with dancing at live music when we were at the uh, the Dirty Bird in Laguna, uh, the the ska the ska footwork that you do. I've I've been doing that most of my life though, you know. Yeah, but you can do that. Like club music is like there's no wrong way to dance the club music because it's just like you can't fuck up, you know. I think it's like anything where I'm not a good dancer. I don't know how to dance. But you just like flail around a bit and people think you're having a blast. Okay, over here, Evan, who is your favorite fictional character? Have to go with Bilbo Baggins. Have to do it. The guy lives in a cozy hobbit hole. He gets to go for adventures, makes a shitload of money, finds a, finds a dragon treasure, brings it back, becomes the richest guy in town, makes a bunch of new sick friends, dwarves wizards elves and then he just come after it he comes back with a magic ring which he doesn't have to deal with the like negative effects of he just passes it on to his nephew who it like totally fucks up but he just gets to kind of keep it and it prolongs his life so he ages very slowly so he gets to have a nice long life beautiful house rich and then and he's the star of his own book it's great what about you uh, I don't know. There's a feel like I like, uh, I mean, I would maybe go with like seldom seen Smith from the monkey wrench gang. Is that a, is that a book? It's a book by Edward Abbey. It's about these people that go and try to sabotage a bunch of development in the desert in the West. A uh, bunch of hobbits. No, they're not hobbits. No, they're just regular people. Mm, not interested. Yeah. Not as cool as hobbits. Bilbo is basically like a, is like a travel blogger. He just goes to, he goes on one vacation, comes back, thinks he's like an expert on the world and writes a book there and back again and uh, becomes famous for it. He's, he's literally like the middle earth version of a travel influencer. Yeah, no, I like it. Okay. Next question. You meet somebody traveling 
and it's somebody that you think you're going to be friends with, uh, you know, for a while. It's not just somebody you're going to hang out with for one day. And this person says, what's the most important thing I should know about you? Uh, I will not skip meals. I know some people when they travel or even in their daily lives just feel too busy to eat sometimes or even forget to eat, which is a concept I don't think I'll ever understand. But yeah, I'm someone who at an absolute minimum needs to eat three meals a day. Doesn't have to be a big lengthy food pit stop at a restaurant. I'll do Wendy's in Italy if we're really in a rush. I don't care. We've talked about that before, but I will not skip a meal. What about you? I would say, I mean, I think mine would be maybe like that I'm an unabashed progressive, not so much <laughs> in the political sense, not so much in the political sense, but in the, in the way of like, what I like and what I'm interested in and what really gets me going is stuff that is moving society forward. I don't have a very good imagination. So <laughs> I really base what excites me on like what is happening and what is going to happen. What do you mean you don't have a good imagination? I just, I was never very good at like playing make-believe kind of stuff when I was a kid. I, I would be like, you know, all I wanted to do was play baseball and eat chicken nuggets. <laughs> I, you know like i was down to play like ninja turtles with my friends but that's because i could base it off of something that i had seen i i was never very good at like just playing house or playing like these makeup things i i have no frame of reference for for how to relate to that i think that's my favorite line that we've ever said in any episode all i wanted to do <laughs> was to play baseball and eat chicken nuggets that's perfect. Oh man, that's that's what you're. That's what you would tell someone when you meet when you meet them when you travel. It's like, so Tim, what's your deal? What are you up to? Yeah. Where, where are you from? You know what, man? Honestly, I just want to play baseball, eat chicken nuggets, and I'm all out of chicken nuggets. <laughs> uh, but so, which reminds me, because we haven't done this in a while. Anyone who wants to contribute to Tim's baseball fund to help him uh, reach the majors which is something he's been trying to do. And we really support him over here. No blackout dates. Um, you can submit uh, any donation is welcome to our GoFundMe. I'll take it. And we'll get, I'll take we'll it. get Tim at the very least a uh, single a contract. He's got, he's a veteran, loves the game, knows the game. And I'm I think ready. he's ready for I'm his ready. big break. I probably don't have too many years left. So got to do this. You're in your prime, man. Okay. Last question. Describe what your current crush looks like. <laughs> Where did you get these questions? Oh, man. Okay. Uh, really re revealing some intimate details about my life here. Um, okay. So she, she has uh, long blonde hair. Uh, so blonde. It's almost white, actually. Um, but beautiful, beautiful girl. I think she lives in Finland in like this giant ice castle. It's sick. She's a bit <laughs> moody um, and kind of temperamental, which is a bit frustrating, but I, I kind of like it. I think she actually has a sister, Tim, if you're interested. She's, she's pretty cute. Um, but yeah, like I said, she's absolutely gorgeous. Her name's Elsa. She's kind of a homebody. I don't think she's left her ice castle for like five years. But I mean, when you live in an ice castle, like who would? It's sick. Um, yeah, I mean, she just gets me, I think. I do feel like I might be getting catfished because in some of her photos, she looks a bit too, um, what's the word? 
animated, <laughs> but we'll see. Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, whenever you have that feeling about somebody, you, you always kind of hope that you're never actually going to meet them because you so badly don't want to be disappointed. Oh, yeah, we've talked about this, never meet your heroes. So we've never actually spoken because her cell service out there really sucks. And she's not on Instagram, not on TikTok. She would kill it on TikTok if she was. But, yeah, I mean, looking forward to meeting her once we can travel again, once these uh, restrictions get lifted. <sighs> okay, well... Enough about my future wife. Thanks for listening to another episode. Make sure to subscribe. For every subscription we get, we're going to donate 50 cents to the Timmy Baseball Fund to help Tim break into the major leagues. And remember to support the unsung heroes of Hollywood, the stunt people of America. We'll see you next week. <laughs>